Let's pray. Let's prepare to get into God's Word as they begin to tune in on the radio program uh, with the live broadcast now. Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you today, Father, that for the privilege of all that you're doing, the grace that you are at work in our lives. Lord, we go through days and maybe weeks where we don't see, maybe we may not see you working. We may compare ourselves to other people and sometimes feel disappointed as if we're not measuring up. But your word says that you are at work in us, both to do and to will, to will and to do your good pleasure. And so, Father, we know that you're faithful. And so we trust that you are at work in our lives, whether we're seeing immediate results or not, because often, Father, the results that are the most long-lasting and the most meaningful are those that take the longest to develop because they're done in smaller pieces, in smaller amounts. And so we just trust you this morning that you're at work in us. And we pray this morning, Father, that this time we have together as we open the Word of God would be a time of continued growth. Your Word teaches us that we grow because by depositing, sowing into our hearts the seed of the Word of God. And as we sow it into our hearts and as we water it, that seed will begin to produce a harvest in our lives, 30, 60, and 100-fold of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so we trust this process today. For you're said in your word that your word that you send forth will not return void, but it will accomplish that for which you sent it. And so by faith today, Father, we're expecting that this word that you have written and that the Spirit of God takes this morning and breathes into our hearts, that this word will not return void, but it will accomplish in our lives and therefore in the lives of others what you have ordained for it to accomplish. And we thank you for that in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 16. And we started a series last week, I guess it was, which is really part of a larger series we've actually been involved in for some time. And the title of the series is, Why Are We Here? And it goes, it, it, the root of it really is back in Philippians, where Paul talks about um, that he, his determined purpose was that he would lay hold of or grasp that for which Christ laid hold of or grasped him. And we've been talking from the point of view that the reason each one of you is here today, the reason each one of you is in Christ, if indeed you are, is because he laid hold of you, you didn't lay hold of him. In John chapter 15, Jesus told his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And that's true for all of us. None of us were smart enough, wise enough, and if you think you chose him, it's because he really chose you. You know, well, I won't get into that. That would just get me in trouble. <laughs> like we're talking about sometimes women have a way of having you want what they want for you to want without you knowing that they're the ones that wanted you to want it. Did you follow me? If not, I'm not going to explain it. <laughs> but God has a way of drawing us. So there are times we think we were the ones that were so smart, but we're not. We were the ones that were lost. You didn't find Jesus, he found you. We're the ones that were lost. Jesus was never lost. But what we're looking at is he did it with a purpose, not just so that we don't have to go to hell. If that were it, that would be wonderful. But with a pur because if that were his purpose, when he, we came to Christ, he would bring us up into heaven right then because the only trouble we ever can ever get to is here. 
In heaven, there's no trouble you can get into. There's no temptations. There's no fattening food. There's no, you know, there's no think temptation to look at things you shouldn't look at or think of things you shouldn't think about. That's all here, and it's through the flesh. So why would he leave us here when there's this possibility of us getting into trouble, and there are indeed those who have? Because there's a purpose for us that's beyond us. Because God cares about people beyond you and me. And there's a purpose for our life. Not only is there a purpose for our lives individually, there's purpose for every church. And each church has a little different purpose. There are some basic purposes, which is really what we're looking at in this series, but each church has a little different role in that. And so this is why it's not right for one church to compare itself to another. Because we each have, just as each part of your body has a different purpose, it wouldn't be wise for your ear to compare itself to your big toe. Because although they're both made of flesh, they have very different purposes. And so we need to be focused on why we're here and what we're here to do and not be looking so much at what other people are doing because that just distracts us from our purpose. But we're talking about what is that purpose? How do we find out what that purpose is? And we talked last week about where to look. And we realized that, you know, there are many books out there. You go into books. You, you want to know what people are thinking. Go into bookstores and look at the bestsellers because it tells you what people's interest is. And there's so many sections of bookstores which are on self-help. How do I make myself richer? How do I make myself smarter? How do I get through this? How do I learn how to do this? It's so much really at its basis, self-improvement. And most of them, the ones that are not Christian, they're looking to man's idea of how to make myself better. And, and if you want to know what kind of job we're doing with that, just pick up this morning's paper or yesterday's paper or tomorrow's paper or watch CNN or Fox News or whatever your particular interest is, and you'll see we're not doing too good a job of managing ourselves. The world's falling apart into darkness. It's gone crazy. Things are happening in this nation that never happened before. They would have happened, but they would have been very unusual. They would have been, but now they're almost every, shootings are almost everyday occurrences, you know shooting somewhere where in a mall or a school or something like that to the point that we're almost not shocked anymore. The world's, we're not doing too great a job with self-help. And so the place to look is never to, the, the, we used the example last week out of uh, the Old Testament where God uses the example of a potter and clay. And he told Isaiah to go down and look at the potter, look, watch the potter with his wheel. And while he said, watch how he was forming it. And this, in that case, he was talking about Israel that had gotten off track. And he saw this potter who was making the clay and there was some defect in it. And instead of trying to rework it, he just smashed it down and started all over again. And God is saying, I'm the potter. I'm the one that made you. And the very less lesson in the Old Testament of the potter and the clay is the potter is the one that has the right to decide what the clay is going to be. The clay doesn't get the vote on whether it's going to be a vase or whether it's going to be a cup or whatever it's going to be, whether it's going to be a decorative piece or whether it's going to be some functional piece. It doesn't get to choose. All it can do is allow the potter to mold it. And that's a lesson for us. Because by our nature, by our humanness, we are filled with ambition and desire to make something of ourselves. And to be the self-made man, the self-made person in our society, that's a highly respected thing. Wow, that man's a self-made millionaire. No, he's not. No, he's not. He applied principles that God created and God honored. First of all, we, you've never made anything in your life. We don't, we don't have the ability to create anything. 
only God can create. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed or formed by the word of God. For what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So what we see was not made out of things that are seen. It was made out of God's word, declaring it, calling it forth. Only God has the power to create. So a self-made man has taken things God's created and manipulated them or used them to cause increase, but even God causes the increase. So we're not so big and strong as we think we are. We're not so powerful and so smart as we think we are. And the beginning of wisdom is to find out you're not as smart as you think you are and turn to the one who is. That's why Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's reverencing and understanding who he really is. So in our looking at who we are and why we're here, the only place we can look to is the one who made us, the one who called us. And not just as an individual's and your own life, but the one who called this church, the one who 36 years ago called a man and woman from Texas to come here and start this church, and the one who has sustained this church through trials and tribulations, the one who continues to sustain us, whether things are going great or things aren't great, he's the one that sustains this body because when God takes his hand off of a body, it begins to dry up. When God takes his hand off of a church, that's why Jesus talks in, in Revelation to churches and says, these are the things you need to do, and if you don't, I will remove my candlestick from that church. I will remove my anointing. And there are churches out there that he's done that to, and they just exist, but they're not alive. The life of God is not in there. And may we never come to that place. May we never come to that place where they write Ichabod over the front door, which means the glory has departed. And so we need to keep our hearts fresh, our desire fresh, and to keep seeking him. And the real root of that is to continue to seek his purposes, for his, his will for his purposes. And so that's what we're looking at. So the only place we can go to find out why we're here is to what God's given us to reveal that to us, and that's his word. And so we looked last time, <clears throat> we're looking at uh, the end of Jesus' public ministry. We looked at the end of his ministry, and we'll pick up there tonight, today in John, Matthew, Mark chapter 16. Jesus has chosen his disciples, walked for about three years and a half with them. They've seen him crucified. They've seen him raised from the dead. They've seen him walked among them, not full time, but on and off for about 40 days. He appeared in rooms, just appeared. They saw him walk through walls. They've seen him eat food and it didn't just disappear. It just processed like their bodies did. So they've seen him in this resurrected body and, and he's talked to them and now he calls them out to the top of a mountain because he's going to leave them once and for all. And he gives them instructions. And the reason I explain that is because these are his last instructions to them. And so they're the very important thing we need to listen to because here is where he's telling them and reminding them why he called them to begin with, why he's doing this. And I'm sure they didn't fully understand because we're going to see some of them didn't believe. They didn't understand. Because in their mind, in, 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 when we get into Acts chapter 1, they're saying, is it this time you're going to establish your kingdom? They still didn't get it. I don't know about you, but that's reassuring to me. Sometimes with me it takes a while for me to get it, and I'm not even sure I've got it yet fully. I won't find that out until I get more, understand more. They thought they understood what was going on, but they really didn't get it yet. They didn't understand that Jesus' ministry was only starting when he was ascended into heaven. 
When we get into Luke, we're going to say all that Jesus began to do, I wrote in the Gospel of Luke. So Luke ends with the end of Jesus' part, and the book of Acts, which is written by Luke, begins with the next phase of Jesus' ministry, which is the church. So you and I, the church today, is still a continuation of that ministry that Jesus turned over his disciples when he was ascended on high. So the commission that he gave them, the instructions he gave them, he's also given to us because we're part of that same body. We're part of that same age. We're in the same age that began in these verses. So this purpose is our purpose just as much as it is his purpose. So let's go back and we're going to pick up in verse uh, 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow them who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover." And so then after Jesus had spoken to them, he was received into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And he went, they went out and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with, with accompanying signs, amen, which means so be it. And where we ended last time, we ended in verse 15 when he said unto them, go. And that's where we stopped. We stopped at go. <laughs> The first word here, and we're going to see when we get over into Matthew's account of this, which gives us a little different angle on it, but the one thing they have in common is they both start with the word go. We ended up talking about what the word go means. I've looked it up in several lexicons. I've looked it up in, Greek, in, in the Greek, and the word go in Greek means go. <laughs> it is an action verb, and it is a command. In this tense in the Greek, it is a command. It means move, do something. Now, here's where, and this is one of the things that I like doing. I like taking small words and just thinking about them, meditating on them. Because so often in our reading the scriptures, we, list, we, run, we skip over the small words because, well, I know what that means. But we want to spend some time. We began it last week, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on from this today. But just to spend a few moments thinking about what go means. If you're at a stoplight and... The, at a red light, and, and you may, I know you would never be looking at your phone while you're sitting at a stoplight. I know you would never text while you're sitting at a stoplight. I know you would never be playing with the radio or looking at something else, but just perchance you know somebody that might have done that. And you hear this horn behind you go, bah, bah, whatever it sounds like, somebody honking at you. And of course, the moment somebody honks at us, we get offended and upset until I look up. I would never do this. Until we look up and we see it's already a green light. Now, what does a green light mean? Go. Yeah. What does a green light mean? Go. go. It's a sign to stop sitting there and to go. And when we're sitting at a green light, we don't need to meditate a lot. We don't need to do an exegesis or a, or a study in the lexicons. We don't need to look at the Greek or the Hebrew. We know what it means to put the foot to the metal, the pedal to the metal, and move. That means to stay, go take wherever I am and go somewhere, begin to move. So this is not a complicated, in-depth word until we bring it into church. 
And now we bring these simple concepts into church and we have to think about what does it mean to do it? It just means go. <laughs> Notice he hasn't told us where to go yet. He just says, go. God's more concerned with our going than with our getting it right. God's more concerned with our going than even going to the right place because we're going to get into a new concept here, which Kurt actually mentioned in a different purpose. And the concept is momentum. Momentum. What does momentum mean? Well, I had a good understanding, but I wanted to look it up just to be sure. Momentum is the tendency of an object that's in motion to stay in motion. And the opposite of that is the tendency of an object that's still to stay still. It's the strength or force gained. I like this. It's the strength or force gained by moving. So momentum means the more I move, the more force and energy I get. And that's the opposite of what it feels like. In order to be a successful Christian, in order to accomplish what God's called you to do, you're going to have to learn one basic thing above everything else, and that's to not be moved by how you feel. Part of what I think stagnates the church is that we're controlled by how I feel. Well, I don't feel like I can do it. There's a wonderful brother. He was in charge of the helps ministry at the church we went to uh, in, in Tulsa, when we were in Tulsa. And for those of you who have come through new membership and you've seen a video by a man named Buddy Bell, a great man, his whole calling is to teach the ministry of helps. And he always carries with him in his pocket a piece of lead, just a little hunk of lead. Because when he shares, look, God's called us to be involved. God's called us to help. And some dear brother or sister says, well, well you know, Buddy, I, I don't feel lead. He reaches in his pocket and he said, would you please rub this? Okay, now you felt lead. <laughs> and get the lead out. <laughs> and it's good, to, it's good to study the word. It's good to sit in church and learn the word. But the only reason we're here to study the word and to learn the word is so we can go out there with the word. The reason you eat food is so that your body can get strength and energy to go to work, to do the things that you're here to do. And if all you do is sit and eat and you never go do anything, you get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the, and the bulk that you're adding to you is not strength and muscle, it's fat. Until I've seen pictures of these people that are 700 and 800 pounds where they've got to get special equipment just to move them out of the house. How do they get that way? Well, there may be glandular issues, but the result is they put it taken in, but they're never giving out. They're never using that food for the purpose for which they ate it. And that's a great practical example of what we can do so easily spiritually, is we take the word in. We take the word in. We take the word in. And I'm sure there are people in church that say, you know, you know, you know, I know they need help in the nursery. I know they need help in children's ministry. I know they need help out doing something out in the, in the, in the parking lot. But I want to be in the sanctuary where the word's preached because I need the word. But maybe you need to exercise the word you've received 
and then make room for more. Use what you've got. So momentum is the tendency of, an, of, of, of something that's in motion to stay in motion. It's also the tendency of something that's sitting still to stay still. Once something in motion, it's easier to redirect it. This is why God puts go first before telling us where to go. Because it's much easier for him to redirect you once you're moving than to get you moving. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having a car break down or, or, or stop by the side of the road with somebody this car's stopped and they need to be moved to a gas station or something like that. And so you get behind it and you try to push it. And it's very hard to get it moving unless you get enough people pushing it. But once it gets rolling, it's very easy to push once it gets momentum. It's easier to push it once it gets going. The hard part is to get it moving. And the same is true with us spiritually. The same is true with us. And so it takes something to get us moving, but once we're moving, God can redirect it. And I closed last week by using the example of a bicycle. When I learned to ride a bicycle, and my father got me out and made me do the one thing I didn't want to do, which was take the training wheels off. And there's some of us in church that have training wheels. And we've been in church for 10 years, and we still have training wheels. Training wheels are only for a few weeks, maybe a few months. And at that point, you've got to get the training wheels off and begin to learn how to balance it yourself. And I told you, my father grabbed the back of the seat, and don't worry, he said, I got the back of the seat, because the only way I could learn how to ride that bicycle was by doing it. And I got on there, and I discovered that, see, I wanted to sit on the bicycle and not move and balance sitting on the bicycle, because that was safer. The safest thing is to sit and do nothing. Well, at least it, it feels as if that's the safest seat. In reality, it's the most dangerous thing we can do. In reality, the most dangerous thing we can do as a Christian is nothing because it makes us vulnerable to Satan's attacks because God works as we move. Just as this bicycle, I could not balance it. As much as I wanted to be able to balance it while it was safe, sitting still, what I discovered is my father said, only while you move can you balance it. And so we began to move forward, and he held on to the back of the seat until I began to get a feel of it. And when he judged what I couldn't judge, that I was ready, he just let go. And I went right on down that street thinking he was still holding me up, and I turned around and realized he was back there. I started to panic, and then it dawned on me, but I've been riding. And the only way I could do that was to get on that bicycle, have my father get me started, and then he let go. And the Spirit of God, is if you're new in Christ, he'll take hold of the back of your seat. And when you choose to get going, he'll help you get going. But at some point, he's going to take his hands off so that you can learn how to balance yourself. He won't leave you. My father didn't go in the house. He was watching over me, but he knew what I was able to do. So the word go means go. Do something. Because even if you do the wrong thing, it's easier to redirect it than if you do nothing. The only absolutely wrong thing is to do nothing. Oh, yeah. Amen. If you do nothing as a Christian, if you don't go and do something, you are guaranteed that you are wrong. Guaranteed that you are wrong. Okay. So momentum is the tendency of an object in motion to stay in motion. And the other thing is that strength it's the strength or force that's gained 
by motion. So the more it moves, the more velocity, because actually in physics, as I read, it's the, it's, the, it's the product of mass and velocity. So the more your mass gets moving, the more momentum it picks up. And when you have momentum, you tend to take people with you. All right, that's go. Where are we to go? Where to go into? We're going to take this one word at a time. Where to go into? There's another simple word. But we're going to think about that word for a minute. To go into means to place yourself inside something. If I'm going to pour orange juice into my juice glass this morning, it's not, if, it's not going to go on the counter. It's not going to go in the sink. I'm not going to throw it at it. I take the juice and I pour it inside the glass. So that means where we're supposed to go is outside of here. Where we're supposed to go is not just outside of here, but it's into something. This is going to sound real basic and simple to you, but these are profound truths. Profound truths. So, to go into means to enter in. It means to be among. It means not to be segregated from or aloof from. There are many Christians that don't want to get involved in the world because the world's dirty. They don't want to get involved in the world because they're sinners in the world. They, don't, they want to stay in church. And they want to stay among Christians. And they want to only know Christians and they want to only go out to eat with Christians and they want to only fellowship with Christians and they want to, because if the people in the world are sinners. And don't you know how horrible that word is? And the worse the world gets, the more we're going to want to do this. But we're to go into the world. That means out among, and we'll talk about in a minute what the world is. We're to go out and be among them. Because how can we have influence on them if we're never among them? It was said this way. Jesus said, you're to be in the world, but not of the world. And say, well, if I get out among the world, then then, then it might rub off on me. Then you need to be strengthened as a Christian. What you'll find is as you go out there with a purpose, it won't rub off on you. You'll rub off on it. It's when we go out with no purpose. Because then what we do is we tend to blend in. But when we know we're called by God to do something out there, we're called by God, and we'll talk about what that is. When we're called by God to do that, we go out with His purpose. We go out with His calling. We go out with His Spirit. And we're going to learn to go out in His power. Paul went out into the known world. He didn't stay in Jerusalem. He didn't stay in Antioch. He went where the Word hadn't been preached before. He went out and he went among the world. He went, first of all, into the synagogues and they didn't accept him, so he went next door. He would go and find somebody's house and he would just share the word of God. He would just proclaim the gospel and sometimes they accepted it and sometimes they didn't. But he went. He went. Go into. It means to be out there in among, not separated from not aloof from. In order to have influence, we have to be among those we are to influence. Now, in our, this is where we've got to be learned not to just be moved by what feels good because the safest place to be will feel in the church 
and among Christians. Now, I'm going to make a statement that may challenge your theology. I'm going to make a statement that's, that challenges, I think, very often what our expectation is. But there's nothing in that I can find in my Bible that says, as a Christian, listen carefully, that we're called to be safe. That's right. Amen. I knew that would go over big. Well, it took me a while to wrestle with it. There's nothing that I can find in my Bible that says, as a Christian, we are called to be safe. Amen. Or have a right to be safe. God will protect us. But in order to influence, there are times God puts people in harm's way That's right. That's right. to preach the gospel because he cares enough about Well, let's go back. Let's just look at what he did. He put his own son in harm's way, didn't he? He put his own son in danger, so much so that his son died. And why did he do that? Because he didn't love his son? No, he did that because he loved you and me enough to be willing to put his son in harm's way. Amen. And because we are of his son, he's willing to put us, if we're willing, in places so that, and it doesn't mean all of us are going to be harmed, it doesn't mean that, but the question is if we decide what we're willing to do based on what's safe or not safe, we may well miss God. Amen. And I'm talking to me as much as you. This series is for me, and you get to listen into it. Because I've got to grow in these things also. Because we want to be safe. It's a normal human reaction and instinct to be safe and preserve ourselves. And God will protect you. God protected Israel in the midst of all those things that Egypt went through. They didn't go through the darkness. They didn't go through the lights. Some of the early things they went through, but the really tough things at the end, they didn't go through. When God poured out his wrath by the flood, Noah and his family were protected. They went through it, but they were protected from the harm of it. God didn't pick them up and take them out of it. He provided a safety thing to go through it. There are places God needs to send some people, and if you're deciding what's God or not, what you're willing to do or not, by what's safe, you may well miss God. God will provide, God will protect, but in order to be among people, among where God's sending us, we can't look at how it feels. Another thing we can't look at is what's convenient. We're not here for convenience purposes. We're here on a mission. We're here on an assignment. One of those examples that the Apostle Paul uses in talking to Timothy is he said, you do, you, you do the work of an evangelist, but he also says, you've got to have the attitude of a soldier. A soldier does not, does not go on an assignment where it's convenient because the places of war are almost always not convenient, but that's where the need is. And, and we can look at this from our safe, convenient perspective of sitting here in Seekonk on a nice Sunday morning when the sun is out, out there and, and you're sitting in a blue chair and, you know, we got nice changes coming about here and all these things and it's nice and comfortable and you may have a nice comfortable car to go home into a nice comfortable house and we're just living, and there's nothing wrong with comfort. It's not that we should, you know, all go sit on top of a mountaintop, you know, throw all our, you know, nice clothes away and, 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 and do it to ourselves, but we can't hold on to those things either. 
That's not the purpose of life, not as a Christian. But what you'll find as you step into that purpose, I read the end of Paul's life, and you look at what he went through, and you look at times he was discouraged, and you look at times, you know, when he had to be encouraged himself, times when other people, God had to encourage him. You look, but you come to the end of it, and you see the, you hear a joyful man. You hear the voice of a triumphant man. I have run my race. I have finished my course. I've done what God called me to do. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. There was in Paul's voice, there was in Paul's tone, a tone of victory, of joy. See, joy comes by doing what you're called to do. Joy comes because, see, then God flows through you. We have in the front of our, in our garage, among other things, uh, a garden hose. And in a few weeks, I need to take the garden hose out of the garage and put it in the garden. Because while it's been in the garage, it's dried out inside. Why? Because nothing's flowed through it. But when I get it out and I hook it up to the faucet or spigot, wherever you come from, and then turn that valve on, when I use that hose for what it was intended to, not only will the flowers get wet, but the hose gets wet first. And so as God flows through you to accomplish his will, you get it first. As God prospers this church to do what he wants to do here, guess how he's got to do that? It's not going to drop in out of heaven. He's got to prosper you so that the church can prosper and grow. God wants to grow this church not just in terms of physical things because, as I said last week, those are just tools. The real purpose of this church is people. Lives changed. Souls brought into the kingdom of God. Broken souls in the kingdom of God. Healed so that they can go bring other souls into the kingdom of God. That's why we're here. But in order to do that, God has to do it through you and me. God has to work through us. And so as we step out, as we begin to go out into that world with what we're to do, God begins to flow through us. And if you want more of God, most likely you're not going to get it sitting still praying. Most likely you're going to get more of God as you take what God's given you and you begin to spray that out. You begin to be the hose through which God can pour out of you what he wants others to receive. And then you begin to experience more of that. So although it sounds as if, oh my goodness, we're giving up everything. Of course, then again, didn't we just sing that song? I give it all to you. But not my convenience and my safety. We're at a point where I believe God wants us to grow up spiritually. And as a child grows up in their home, as we talked about last week, they go through a process as a little child who thinks everything's about them to becoming, realizing they're a member of a family and part of something that's bigger than they are and realize they got to share their toys and as they get a little older, there's some chores they got to do. They got to contribute to the welfare of this family. That's part of the process of growing. But then there comes a point when it's time to go outside 
and to begin to make your own way, to begin to find your own purpose in life and to begin to release our children and send them out because if they're 25 and 30 years old and they're still sitting in the TV room all day playing video games and they're with a bowl of Cheerios and they're not doing anything productive, something's wrong. Something's wrong. They're not maturing. And they're not happy. And nobody's happy because they're not doing what they were meant to do. Fulfillment only comes by doing what we were finding and doing what we were meant to do. All right. So we're to go and we're go, to go into, not around, not visit. We're to go out into, into what? The world. All the world. Notice it's all the world. The Greek word for world there, there are several Greek words that are translated world in English. And this is the world cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. And that world, that word, that word has a number of meanings, but I'm trying to give you a sense of it. It refers to the systems of this world, the ways, the philosophies, the, the, the programs and the systems of this world. When Lafayette Scales was here, he talked a lot about the systems. He said God's established with Israel certain systems, a political system, an economic system, a religious system. Well, the world has established a political system. It's established a religious system. There are a number of them out there. And it's established an economic system. So part of cosmos means systems, which are methods by which the world has chosen to operate, to do business with each other, not just financial business, but get along, interrelate with each other. It has to do with the philosophy. It's a very big term. It has to do with the philosophies of the world. It has to do with the inhabitants of the world. And one of the, one of the translations of the, world, of the word cosmos that I liked is this present condition of human affairs alienated from God. Let me give that to you again. This present condition of human affairs alienated from God. So that's what we're to go out into. And, and it's going to be foreign to us. We're not going to like it. Because a lot of what's out there in the world systems is very different from what the Bible believes now. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's pressuring in on us. But we're not to go hide from it. We're to go into it. We're to go out into it. Now we're going to see before we're done, we're not to go out into it in our own strength. We're not to go out into it in our own programs. We're to go out into it in the power of God, in the anointing of God. But before we can find the anointing, before we can get that, we have to be committed to use it for the purpose for which God's given it. And I think why the church has lacked the power so much in this last generation is we want the power but without the purpose. We're going to see when we get into Matthew's account of this, which we may get into today but probably not, is he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Well, we like the authority, but then he says, therefore you go. Go in that authority. So the authority has been given to us, the spiritual authority has been given to us so that we can go out there in the world and do what we're here to do. All right. I knew you'd be excited about this. You'll get it. Praise God. All right. So we're to go into all the world, the cosmos, the inhabitants of the world, the systems of the world. And what we'll find as we go through this is what that means for each of us may be a little different. Your world, quote unquote, 
may be different than mine. Most likely it is, because most of my world's in here. Most of my world is you. Most of my world is, is focusing on where we are, where we're going, teaching the word, making sure things are operating here the way we're... doesn't mean I don't have a responsibility to go, but this is my primarily world. When I was a lawyer, that was my world, part of my world. My family was part of my world. Not only my immediate family, but my extended family was part of my world. And as a lawyer, I was out there in, in a world that was very foreign to a Christian. But I decided, several places I was, to hold little Bible studies. And I just began, it was known that I was take my lunch on a Wednesday or one day, and I would be in this conference room, and if anybody wanted to join me with their lunch, and I had a number of people join. I had a young lady that had been raised in church. This was in Tulsa. Been raised in church her whole life. Discovered that although she'd been raised in church, she'd been raised in a very well-known southern denomination, she wasn't born again. She sat in church every Sunday hearing about it and discovered she wasn't born again. And so she gave her life to the Lord. So I went into, I went, that was my world at that time. And we'll talk a little more about what that is and how to go, but we're just beginning to look at what our purpose is. And as we awaken to that purpose and begin to step into that purpose, then the life and the power of God will begin to flow through us. All right. So what are we to do out there? We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, see, there he is. I, you know, that's not me because I'm not a preacher. You know, I'm just a very shy, timid person. I'm not a preacher. I've got news for you. You may laugh. I'm a shy person. I'm a very shy, I wouldn't quite say timid, but I'm an introvert. If you put me in a crowd of people that I don't know, I'm going to kind of drift to the corner and just watch people. I'm a people watcher. But I'm not a gregarious person that goes up shaking hands. Now, the interesting thing is once I became a pastor, that changed when I'm in here. My nature is to go out and to talk to you, talk to people. But before I became a pastor, and if I go out there, my natural tendency is to kind of blend in. The word preach doesn't mean to get on a soapbox, open your Bible, and say the world's coming to an end. The word preach, this is preaching and teaching, but it means more than that. The word preach actually just means to tell, proclaim, declare, say. And what we're going to see as we get into it is there are many ways of doing that. In fact, some of the, most, the least powerful way is often opening our mouth. Because we'll open our mouth and say something that's not the same way we live. The most powerful way you have of proclaiming the gospel is the way you live your life. We're going to see when we get into Acts that Jesus says he called them to be witnesses of him. Not to go witness, but to be witnesses of him. And that involves opening our mouth at appropriate times, but it involves just the way we conduct ourselves. I remember in one of the law firms I worked in, the senior partner's daughter worked there. And she came to me one day in the hall, and she was, she was struggling with some things in her life. And she's just passing. She says, what do you have that I don't have? And I was busy. I, was, I didn't know what she meant. I thought she meant a book or something. And then I realized, whoa, wait a minute. There's, there's something else here. And I said, what do you mean? She says, I know, because there was, we were going through some financial challenges at the time. And she said, I know you're, you've got some she didn't use the word challenge. You've got some problems in your life that you're dealing with, but there's something about you in doing that that's different. 
what do you have that I don't have? And see, we talked a couple years ago about fishing. And see, that's, that's the fish nibbling at the bait. And from what I understand from fishermen, the moment you feel the nibble, you don't just pull it in. You let them nibble until they bite. So I said to her, well, come into, this, come into the conference room. And I said, do you really want to know? I mean, do you really want to know what it is that I have that you don't have? Um, she's beginning to smell the bait. I said, she said, yes. I said, it's not something I have, it's someone. She yes. kind of looked at me. I said, it's Jesus yes. in my life. And then she kind of looked strange at me. <laughs> she didn't want it that much. But the point is, I wasn't going around preaching saying I'm a Christian. They knew I was a Christian, I didn't hide it. I wasn't going around, you know, with a Jesus t-shirt on. I was conducting myself, trying to be as normal as I could be, but still being who I was and not hiding who I was. And as a result, there was something about that that was intangible to her that touched her and made her aware there was something that I, in me that she didn't have by contrast. So preaching is not just going out on a street corner. It involves that from time to time. It does involve opening our mouth but it also involves so much more. We're going to see that preaching is more than just living my life also. It's going out. Jesus went out and didn't just sit on the hillside and preach the gospel. Jesus went out and touched people's lives where their needs were. Jesus went out and healed the sick. Jesus went out and fed people. Jesus met people at the point of their need, and as a result, they knew he cared about them. You have to earn the right to preach to somebody if you want them to listen. They've got to know that you care enough about them because remember when we're doing this, who we're representing. We're not going out there representing Faith Christian Center. We used to when we do baptism services. It hasn't happened in the last few that we've done, but we would get people you know, giving testimony not of what God had done in their life, but what a Faith Christian Center had done in their life. And I appreciated that. I understand what they meant, but we're just, Faith Christian Center is you. It's the body of Christ. And it's not because of our great planning. It's not because of anybody's great preaching. It's Christ working in us. That's what changes people's lives. That's what's changing my life. That's what's changing your life. And so, so what we are to proclaim is him working in us, him working through us. And you don't need to, have, you don't need to know a bunch of theology. You don't even need to know a bunch of Bible because most of the time when people know a bunch, a bunch of Bible verses, we give them Bible verses, and that's not what they need. They need to know that God cares about them. They need to know, we're going to get into what that is in a minute, they need to know that God cares about them. So we're to go, we're to go. We're to go into the world, all that that means. And we're to go into the world telling something, proclaiming something. Again, that word proclaim I don't like because it almost sounds like you're standing there yelling something out. And when we yell something out, people don't hear us. I don't know about you, but when somebody yells, my just, unless it's an emergency or something like that, I just tune it out. You know, no, People get really loud. We were at some restaurant or something the other day. And some guy was just really talking very loudly. And I was like, would somebody tell him to tone it down? 
I couldn't hear what he was talking about because he was just, it was just loud. And when we're loud, people don't want to hear us. Jesus wasn't booming voice. He wasn't loud. And people came to hear him. Go, go into all the world. Now, you and I, I can't go into all the world, but if I go into my world, and you go into your world, and you go into your world, then we will, as a church, not just Faith Christian Center, the church will get into all the world. God hasn't called most of us to go to Indonesia, maybe to visit on a, on a, on a missions trip. God hasn't called all of us to go, because sometimes I looked at you know, missionaries and said, God, I'm not doing anything. You know, they're out there risking their lives, and they're out there doing this, and I'm, I'm not doing anything. But I'm doing what I was called to do. Remember, when you get before the Lord, he's not going to ask you, did you, do a, were you, did you have Billy Graham's results? He's going to want to know, did you do what I called you to do? And what he's called you to do, he'll equip you to do it. When you get out trying to do what somebody else is doing, he hasn't equipped you to do that. There are ministries that are out there trying to do something they're not called to do, and they don't have the grace to do it. Because just because something looks good doesn't mean we're supposed to do it. It's knowing what has God called us to do. This we know because this applies to everybody. So we're to go into all the world, the world systems, and we're to proclaim what? The gospel. We probably won't get into all of this today, but what we're going to begin to talk about uh, as we head forward is what it is we're to proclaim. What is the gospel? Those of you who go to a connect group this week, you'll hear me begin to talk about that in there. What is the gospel. And this is where I believe we've really missed it as a church. And I'm not just talking to Faith Christian Center. I'm talking especially the church in the United States. And that's a generalization. I know that. And it's a generalization here because that's not true of all of us. But the word gospel comes from a Greek word, eulangolion, which means to send with something good. It means good news. Good news. And the question that I ask for the connect groups is, is the gospel good news to you? I mean, I know you know in your head it is, but is that your experience? Because when you hear good news, what do you do? In fact, one of the definitions of good news I found in one of the Greek lexicons was, was to get excited about something, to be filled with joy about something. Think about it when you get good news. Think about it when the doctor calls up and says, look, we ran all the tests, but we didn't find anything. I know we alarmed you when we told you that there was some, there was some you know, count was off, but we ran the test, and there's nothing wrong, You're, it's, it, or it's benign. That's good news, isn't it? When you're called into your boss's office on a Friday afternoon, and what's he want, what's he want? And he gives you a promotion and a pay raise. That's good news, isn't it? See, see good news isn't something complicated. We all recognize good news when we hear it until we bring it into church and we get theology around it and then we twist good into something else. But we know what good news means. Good is something that's going to bless me. Good is something that's good for me. And when you hear good news, it brings you joy, it brings you energy, it brings you excitement, and you want to tell people about it. We want to tell people the good news. 
Jesus, when he ministered to people, Jairus' daughter, when she was raised from the dead, that was good news. She was dead and now she's alive. And Jesus told him, don't go tell anybody. Say, why would he do that? Because Jesus' major problem was crowd control. Wherever he went, there were crowds just would press in on him. The story of the woman with the issue of blood, which is part of that story of Jairus' daughter, is that they couldn't get to him because there were people pressing in on him because he was feeding people, he was healing people. And you understand, in that day and age, they didn't have the, let's see, do I go to the hospital or do I go see Jesus? I don't know, I don't know what I have peace about. There was no hospital to go to. There were physicians, but by and large, they couldn't do much for you. So there was Jesus or there was nothing. So they thronged around him. So when something spectacular happened and news spread of that, it was going to become even more of a problem to him. So he would tell people, look, don't tell anybody. Now, some people might say, well, that was reverse psychology. But reverse psychology is just another word for lying to them or manipulation. And Jesus is the truth. He didn't manipulate people. So when he said don't tell anybody, he meant don't tell anybody. But what did they do? They rushed right out and told everybody they could tell. Why? Because something good had happened to them. It was good. Some of you, when you first were saved, couldn't keep your mouth shut. I know I, I offended members of our, Anita's family. We went on vacation for a week with immediate members of her family. And we had ju- I, we'd just gotten saved. And I was trouble going somewhere to happen. <laughs> and I started in on them sharing just the joy of what had happened to us. It was perfectly innocent. But when they didn't say, wow, what did you do? How can we accept him also? I got a little upset. And if you promise not to tell anybody, I didn't exactly walk in love. (laughs) I was still a lawyer, and that kicked in. And an hour and a half later, after every argument that I could possibly give them, I had them in shreds. I won the argument and lost them. And still, years later, repairing some of that. It's betting back to where it used to be. And the only way we could repair it is by love. Remember, Paul warns the Corinthians. He said, you can speak with the tongue of men and of angels. You can flow in all the gifts of the Spirit more than anybody else has flowed in but it's not motivated by love, it's nothing. Why? Because God is love. And the very essence of the gospel is to communicate the love of God. The love of God. And this is where the church is mystic. Because when people are loved, they know it. When people are loved, it's like a breath of fresh air in this kind of world. They're so hungry for love out there. They're so hungry for what you and I have on the inside of us. We have the very best product there is in the universe. But maybe we've lost touch with what we've been given. 
That was when I was first saved. Then you're saved for a while. You get into some bumps, you make some mistakes, you go along in life, and, 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 and this walk becomes not good news, it becomes a burden. It becomes an obligation. I don't know if I'm doing it right. Am I praying enough? Am I giving enough? Am I doing this enough? Am I witnessing enough? And all those knots enough begin to pile up, and we begin to weigh down. Not with good news, with obligations and responsibilities. And so we know we're supposed to be out there sharing the gospel, and that's just another burden that's piled on us. So when we do it, we do it out of obligation. And what are we communicating? Would you want to know this Jesus that I know? I was much freer before I got to be a Christian, but would you want to know him? <laughs> you look at the, you know, the greatest, ad, we'll have to close with, the greatest advertisement that, that God has is your face. That's the billboard that we carry around. Sometimes I've been in churches, not here, <laughs> where I'm looking at the worship team, singing about the joy of the Lord, and there's everything but joy in their face. Yeah. And I want to say, would you let your face know what you're singing? Because somewhere there's a disconnect between your words and your face. But that's not just them, it's all of us. So we're going to go back and begin to look at the good news. What is the good news? Begin to look at ourselves and say, ask yourself, and we'll end with this today. This is where we end with the Connect Lessons. Is to, If I honestly look at my walk with Jesus, if I honestly look at church, if I honestly look at my relationship with God and with others, could I honestly say, wow, this is the greatest news I've ever heard? Yeah. Or do I have to honestly say, look, I'm worn out. I'm carrying around something that's heavy. It's a burden. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but there's no joy in it anymore. Then maybe what we need to do before we go out is begin to let God examine our own lives. I'm not talking about sin. That could be, that can do it. I'm just talking about have we lost touch with or did we ever have touch with the true gospel, the good news, the good news, the good news, not just that the Patriots won the Super Bowl, the good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you most especially for the Holy Spirit. We need him so desperately right now. We need him to search our hearts. To search our hearts so that we can have an honest look inside of us of where we are in our walk with you not for condemnation, but for inventory. What do we really believe about you? What do we really believe about your word? What do we really believe about your kingdom? What do we really believe about the hope and the promises that your word lays before us? What do we really believe that as we face what you show us, that you'll meet us there and begin to open our eyes 
to who God really is and open our eyes to what he's really done for us through Jesus on that cross and open our eyes to the glorious hope that is laid before us. Open our eyes again to the good news of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, only you can do that. And we trust you to do that in Jesus' name.